How can you use your own talent to cultivate and grow the community around you? My name is Spencer George, and you're listening to The Good Folk Podcast. This is an essential question around here and something many of our conversations seek to examine. How can I be an individual in service of a larger mission? How can I cultivate my own practice in tandem with the world around me? Is it possible to be both the artist and the organizer? All of these questions are at the forefront of my mind lately. When I focused only on my individual creative practice, I found myself isolated and alone. But these days, with so much of my work focused on collaboration, I often have little time to work on anything for myself at all. It's a fine line to walk, but I think today's guest does so aptly. Musician Matt Southern was born in Jackson, Michigan and relocated to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2010. He soon began releasing solo records under the name Magpie Feast. In 2013, Magpie Feast became a full band and a staple of the local live music scene. They released several albums until they disbanded in 2017. Since then, Matt began releasing records as a solo artist and with his band, Matt Southern and Lost Gold. Through these various projects, he has always remained productive, releasing 23 records and various singles and one-off projects. Matt has also produced and engineered records for a diverse group of artists, from the folk punk of Alexander Robichaux to the hip-hop of Chomps and the country music of Kit McKay. Music production has become a vital connection to other artists in the community. It has become an important source of inspiration for his own work, as well as a fulfilling way to use the skills he has acquired to help others realize their own artistic vision. Matt is also part of a team that produces an acoustic music video series called Live from the Nest, North Carolina. In their own words, Live from the Nest is a video series hosted on YouTube documenting intimate music performances from a variety of artists in my living room in Raleigh. We strive to be a platform for the incredible and diverse wealth of talent in our area and beyond. We hope to connect artists with each other and the community they are part of. We want to showcase well-established local favorites alongside artists who may just be starting out. In these ways, we hope to play a small role in building a more diverse and vibrant music scene in the Triangle. I think that is very well said. This conversation examines the questions above and looks at the importance of cultivating community in any kind of creative work. You never know who you will cross paths with. You never know what influence they will have on your life. I hope you enjoy this conversation. But thank you for being here, Matt. It's really, really good to talk to you, and I'm happy we were able to make this happen. Um, I think I would love to start, since you have so many different projects and things you do and things you've done, I'd love to have you just maybe summarize it in your own words or tell us a little bit about your journey into what you were doing today. Yeah, so um, I'm a mainly, mainly a musician. Um, I, I have various projects I'm a part of. Um, I really solo stuff just at, under my name, Matt Southern. I also have a band um, that's kind of my main thing, and that's called Matt Southern and Lost Gold. Um, I also play mandolin and a couple of instruments and help record a band called Kit McKay. So those are the three active projects right now. And I just have to say, like, what a great name that you have. How fitting to have the last name of Southern and be working oh, thank here. You. I was like, is this real when you first reached out? So I just have to say it. It's such a fantastic band name. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your journey into music um, and kind of the first of these projects and, and where that led you on, you know, they all build on each other in a lot of ways, it sounds like. Right. Yeah, I um, 
have played music from the time, I guess, since I was about 13. Um, kind of a classic teenager, gets a guitar, kind of falls in love with it, and um, just plays a lot. And then in, in college, I started meeting up with some other people that I could start some groups with. I had some early bands and had a lot of fun. Um, but what I feel like is really my start as a songwriter is the um, group Magpie Feast. Um, so I had a project called Magpie Feast that was originally just a DIY recording project, some a vehicle for me to get my songs out. Um, and after a few years of that doing that, I was able to make a band from that. And just um, we played tons of shows around here for about four years. So that was an absolute blast. So that was kind of the start of um, me being in the music scene in the Raleigh area. And you're not originally from Raleigh, correct? Right. Yeah, I grew up in Michigan um, and moved here in 2010 from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have one of my best friends is has some history in Grand Rapids. I meet a lot of Michigan people lately and lots of people seem to move from Michigan to North Carolina. It's a really funny connection. Um, what it's brought a, you here? It's a great town. Yeah, it's um, after I graduated college, uh, my girlfriend and I, my wife now, um, wanted to just get out of there. Uh, mostly weather is beautiful there in the summer, like absolutely gorgeous, June, July, August. But there are a lot of cloudy months. I've told my friends, I will come visit, but it will not be in the winter. Yeah. The, <laughs> North yeah. Carolina may makes you soft. Yeah. The I, I mean, even in the winter here, like just the amount of sunshine you get is like so good for your mental health. I feel like those last few winters in Michigan and going through the whole college experience and all, all that comes with that were particularly um, trying. And what was it about Raleigh that drew you to here? This was a nice spot that was kind of middle of the coast. Um, we could drive pretty quickly to the ocean or the mountains, which we really liked. We liked, we Grand Rapids was a mid-sized city, so we wanted to be in another Mid-sized city, not too big, not too small. It seems about perfect for our temperament. And um, yeah, Raleigh is also has the uh, benefit of a lot of magazines and news articles, always putting it in like the top five, top 10 sort, sorts of places to live. And as a musician, was that something that you factored in? Because as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, the triangle has just I think it's like the most incredible music scene of anywhere I've ever lived. But was that a factor in that for you? Definitely. Um, about the time I moved here was kind of the height of my most intense, I guess, folk music phase. So I was listening to a lot of musicians from here. Ironically, I probably listened to more like Elizabeth Cotton and uh, Doc Watson those sorts of people in the few years before I came here. And I still did and I still do, but it's just kind of funny how I've always felt kind of out of place in whatever region or at least dislocated, not necessarily um, dependent on where I am to draw influences. I love the way you describe it as feeling kind of out of place or dislocated. I think that's such a great way to describe my own relationship to home um, and so much of what we talk about in this podcast, which is this feeling of not really quite knowing, like feeling a little dislocated, but being able to find part of that location through art and through the things you make. And maybe it doesn't have to be so attached to place. I don't know if that's something you feel like you could relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of 
uh, fell in love with with folk music in particular in my late teen years. Um, it, and it was always a very, like, I didn't know anyone else who, who was listening to that, or it was always a very much like, this is the days when you could rent CDs from libraries. And like local libraries had like amazing record collections, CD collections. So it was a lot of like ripping CDs and just following rabbit holes and kind of earlier on, um, the early days of like YouTube and stuff, you could find some like archival performances of different people. It was great. When you think of but some definitely of the... made me feel Go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say definitely always did not feel like part of a scene that was going on or it, a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of isolation, I feel like, in what I was interested in. Would you say part of that was location-based in that it, folk music, to me, often does get concentrated around, especially North Carolina, um, both stereotypically but also realistically. We do have a lot of folk scenes happening around here. Was that something that you felt just location-wise quite distant from that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's pockets all over the country of places where people are playing traditional bluegrass and stuff, but I grew up in particular um, in a very small town where you were lucky to have no one other person who played music. Um, so it d definitely felt like I was kind of on my own in, um, in Grand Rapids when I lived there, I definitely didn't know of, uh, like a folk music scene or anything like that. It was something I was like completely contained in my headphones and <laughs> whatever I was listening to and uh, writing on my own. And who are some of the people that you think of in kind of those days of you getting very early into folk? Who are some of the artists that come to mind of people you were listening to and looking up to? Yeah, I started out, um, I've kind of stumbled into some really great compilations. The Harry Smith anthology of folk music is kind of like, almost like the Bible of the early 60s folk revival boom. Um, Dave Von Ronk was very, influential to me he also has a really amazing uh, autobiography that was basically like the Greenwich Village folk scene in the from the late 50s to the early 60s and it was just like I just eat that stuff up uh, Bob Dylan obviously stuff like that um, but also a lot of I would say uh, field recordings and um, all the Lomax stuff um, I was able to rip like the Southern Journey series. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Alan Lomax recorded a ton of stuff on this trip through the sites. I'm yes. very familiar with Lomax. Well, that, yes. that was like uh, going from black and white to color for me, just hearing people performing music in their own homes and like variety of talents, like people, everybody wasn't like, you know, an amazing singer or but everything just had so so much like texture and it was just beautiful. So yeah, those were kind of foundational in the folk music um, aspect of my playing. It's all very like ethnographic work, which is what we, we study Lomax quite a bit in the world of folklore of uh, more about the field recording, but what the field recordings meant for culture. So folklore is often, we think of it as like cultural studies. And so it's like things we say, make, do, and believe, and what they can tell us about how we live, which I think is where you kind of now have this connection between folk music and folklore as a field of study. 
we're teaching in ITA for an intro folklore class. We're actually doing um, music and ballad songs right now. So I had to give my students a whole rundown of like the folk revival and half of them didn't know who Bob Dylan was. And <laughs> we're doing like very early right, folk right. ones. So I was like, I'm going to need your curriculum here to just share right on with them. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's, uh, it, I re remember having a, um, you know, taking a bunch of like 100 level music courses that weren't at, even close to my major, but I was just interested in taking like a world music um, course that was kind of the same thing when you're 18, like from a very small town, all of a sudden you're listening to music from all these countries that you never, never even thought about um, seeking out music from there. So yeah, that's, it's... Are you familiar at all with the world of ethnomusicology? I mean, like not studied it or anything or i'm very very into a lot of these reissue labels that are out um that are basically digging through record bins um a lot of the labels i listen to put out stuff from like west africa in the 70s um or you know japan or where wherever but there's a lot of great people doing work out there that i feel like i'm the beneficiary of I think you're an ethnomusicologist at heart, just hearing you talk, which is kind of the, it's the combination of like ethnography and music, which is looking at how kind of the study of these folk recordings of music can really speak to broader cultural topics. Um, it's really, really interesting to hear you say, who are some of the people, when you think about influences on your own work, that come to mind? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's really hard for me to answer because I've, I feel like um, more than anything, I'm just an immense fan of music. Um, and I have very broad tastes, like people, I had some people making fun of me last year because like on the Spotify wrapped thing, I had a, my most played song was only like five times because it was like last year was just like a year of lists, like, <laughs> like just endless wandering. So, um, that's so impressive <laughs> to get back to your question, um, influences, um, some big ones in my life, some kind of turning points. I feel like Nico Case. I don't know if you've ever listened to her, but yeah, a little bit. Um, mid two thousands, mid two thousands. I guess they labeled her alt country or something. But her songwriting in particular, she had a lot of like, um, or still does have a lot of uh, like folklore aspects and. Um, just fairy tale stuff like woven in and kind of this gothic magical realism sort of sort of way so that that was a big one uh all that folk music i described like early 60s folk revival old field recordings um but i mean tons more like i i put out a couple of instrumental records lately that are um, based on sampling and beat making and um kind of some minimalism, some influence from some of the uh, New York minimalists, Steve Reich and Philip Glass, um, Jay Dilla. But last year was a big year of uh, listening to a lot of early 90s hip hop. So I was listening to ton. The, yeah, the best. That, that was, that's <laughs> kind of it for me. Like that's definitely my favorite. But so stuff from all over, but a lot of roots leaning uh, stuff. It's interesting because you describe it and it's just so many different genres and then how that all kind of comes together is a really cool collaborative process in a way of I'm going to take this thing from this movement and this thing from this movement. In so many ways, I think this is where 
the internet maybe has been good for art of we do now have access to so much more than we used to um, in terms of music, in terms of culture, in terms of influence. And see, I think of you first and foremost as kind of like a folk or rock musician. So it's interesting to hear all these different background influences. How would that play into the work that you're making today or the work you're putting out there? Yeah, it's always evolving, and um, but also not. I mean, for anyone who is continually making something, you can always um, find threads that uh, follow throughout all of your all of your art. Um, but also, it's never quite the same. So it's all it's always all there. And yeah, I didn't say anything about rock music, but obviously, I feel like that goes unsaid for the sort of stuff I play too. If you had to trace kind of the progression of your journey as an artist, like a very brief pathway through it, how would you describe it? I think I started out as a teenager that was way more into rock music, um, really liked kind of heavier stuff. And by the time I was a late teenager, I think I was trying to do things like the MC5 or Iggy Pop and the Stooges or the White Stripes or like that sort of thing. And those were all Michigan bands too. So that was like, yeah. I was going to say Jack White. I In the lecture I was giving the other day, we were talking about Jack White and the Dead Weather and the Raconteurs and um, looking specifically at the song right, they have, yes. Carolina Drama. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's like a very kind of blues ballad song and we were comparing it to like classical folklore ballads and what does this mean to have someone who's not from the Carolinas writing this kind of song and yeah, fascinating stuff. I saw Jack White last year live and I think it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. So I'm a big fan myself. <laughs> yeah, a amazing. Yes, I've seen him uh, before. He's crazy good. And also, yeah, I'd put him up there as another foundational one, uh, another foundational touchstone for me. And he's doing so many cool things now in Nashville, too. So almost similar progression of Michigan to the South. Right. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, he's done a little better than me, but I think I'm right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just give it a few years. Yeah. It does remind me in a lot of ways, though, because he's, I think, he's still making music, obviously. But to me, it feels like he's very focused right now on Third Man and on growing that and this community building piece, which in some of the conversations you and I've had just like offline, it sounds like that's something that you two are very interested in. And how do I use my own skill as an artist to activate the other artist communities that I exist within and to really uplift and bring that, which is obviously something I personally care about a lot, too. So I would love to hear a little bit about that kind of community piece to your work and, and how you navigate that. Yeah. Um, and I was telling you right before we went on, I feel like a real kinship to what you guys are doing with good folk um, in your efforts to build community. I think that's been something I've been focused on a lot the last few years. Um, whereas I think when I was younger, I didn't necessarily, I was more like looking for a community to join that it was never very successful at like finding where are my people at. Um, but last handful of years, uh, been focused on building community first with like bandmates. Um, and a few years ago we started a, uh, not a podcast. We started a video series called live from the nest, which is an acoustic music series, um, filled in, filmed in my living room. So we get to have these and it's amazing, awesome, by the way, thank yeah. you. I love it. <laughs> I have it to put it on the record. <laughs> it's a great excuse to get private concerts. Um, from people that you really respect and, and like their music. And it's a great 
tool um, for connecting people. I think the, I mean, the, the reason I'm here is because uh, Tremaine, who came on, um, I can't remember if I saw that he was on on your podcast or you guys found me. Tremaine or... was with his band, right. yeah. And actually, Tremaine is now a good friend of mine who I unrelated to Good Folk, but we've been shorting a shoot, shooting a short film on Tremaine and, and his role as a musician. Oh, cool. So I've gotten to see a lot of him lately, and yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, amazing person. Um, but that that's the, exactly the type of connections that sometimes seem very hard to make. But we're, I mean, we're trying to be a small piece to build a, a better music community something that we wish was there so it's like why not do it i love that line of thinking yeah that's exactly where we came from with this of i want this community and i can see it but i don't know how to start it um i've always been jealous of musicians in a way because there's this kind of inherent communal piece to the work that you do where coming from a writing background it's, it's very much different and i think when you talked about kind of the progression of being a young artist and a teenager, like there's something of when you're young and you want to be in the arts that you feel like you have to lean into this individualism and it's that like teenage angst artist, right? Of I don't need a community. I'm going to do it my own way. And also just, I think that's a total cultural myth that plays out of the idea of your like lonely artist type. And most of us get older and we realize actually our art is made better through having community. Um, and I'm very jealous of bands that get to have that, but Sometimes you just have to say, well, I have to build what I wanted and what I didn't have. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that's um, kind of freeing in itself because you, you're no longer de dependent on things that are already existing infrastructure. Uh, you're, you're dreaming up projects and you find a few people who are interested in helping that and that grows and you get a couple more people. Um, so it's really beautiful to watch it unfold and to help people out who might be earlier on in their career. Um, we just had a guest on who performs as Indie Cult Classic, and this was super uh, gratifying to me. This is like the exact thing I'm, we're trying to build this for um, because he, he didn't have any recorded music out. He didn't have any videos or anything, but he, he sent us stuff. He's like a very obviously talented person but was having trouble getting like shows and whatnot because he didn't have anything to show. So we sent him uh, the audio files as well as posting his videos on YouTube. And I'm just following him on Instagram. I see he's getting shows now. And like, that's, it's just amazing. It's like all the work we've put in towards um, learning recording and um, the team I work with uh, learning video and stuff. It's, it's amazing to be able to help people with those skills. So that, that was what I was going to ask you, which is what's the process like for someone who wants to get on? You mentioned that you've learned the recording and y'all have these amazing, like wonderfully shot videos. Is that all you? Um, and how do you find some of the artists that y'all bring in? Is it people who, again, like submit music or you're just kind of constantly doing what I'm doing, which is sliding into people's Instagram DM? <laughs> yes, yes, all, all of the above. Um, yeah, and definitely, this is a group project um, that originally started with myself and Stephen and Michael Tejan, and then we added uh, Chris Bennett, um, and we we got some great people, Pat and Kevin, also on. Um, everybody's kind of picking their different roles. 
So now we have Chris and Steven doing cameras. Mike has moved to uh, Virginia, but he's still doing all of the um, editing of the videos. Kevin, if you've seen our social media, Kevin's running all the social media. Um, Pat works with lighting and helps me with some of the audio. So it's an amazing group project and a, another great excuse to hang out with all these great friends. Uh, but people, as far as people we have on, it's been a mix. Um, I was a little worried early on that like, you know, anyone in the creative fields, you send a lot of emails, you get a lot of non-responses. Um, but there really seemed to be a hunger and a, like a need for something like this in the community. So we started out with a few that we just reached out to and uh, ended up lining up. And then before long, we were just getting DMs and emails. Um, so please, if you're interested in getting on, please feel free to uh, drop us a DM on our Instagram or find you can we're very online so you can find um, some kind of email address somewhere I'm sure yeah and we'll link to it in like the show notes so people have it but I think the hunger is absolutely correct one thing that I've remarked with some friends in the triangle is there's such a rich music scene and in some ways it does feel a little closed because it's so rich and there's so many kind of storied venues but if you're a young person just starting out and you have no recorded music or you're just making things out of your living room, like getting started in that is really, really hard. So when you have musicians like yourself who are a little bit more established in the community who are kind of passing the space on and opening it up for new people, it really is like an act of mutual reciprocity, which is what I think community should be um, in its best form is it can't just be like a take relationship. It has to be I've gained something from this community, so I'm going to give back something and keep passing it along. And I, I think that's what we need more as artists. And I think so many people want that. And then it's kind of this element of like, well, how do we really get there? Um, and with that, I'm interested in hearing, how did this group project start? Like, where, what did the idea come from? And was it you kind of bringing all these different people together to, to create it? Or tell us the origin of that. Yeah, it was, um, I, I just tend to have a lot of kind of wild ideas and once in a while I'll be able to um, convince some people to go along with it. So we had a original, the best guy, yeah, right. right. <laughs> so it's a little, a little confusing. I almost want to leave this part of the story out, but it's um, we started with just me and Steven and Mike a few years back. Um, and we did a short run of maybe eight videos and then stopped for a while. And I guess last summer, the guys that were in my band, Matt Southern and Lost Gold, um, I was kind of getting the itch to do it again. So I brought it up and Chris, our bass player, was actually getting into photography and videography at the time. So it, we just hopped back on it and I think we're, we're better than we've ever been. And we keep getting a little bit better at, um, it, we're just learning as we go. Like none of us are professional or trained in any of this but we're doing our best and learning a lot as we go so um it's been an absolute blast i think that's really what it's about and this podcast is the same way you know none of us are audio professionals <laughs> we have a photographer and then i come from a creative writing background and we were like but you know what we have an right. interest in doing this and we have people there so let's just figure it out and you know it's exactly what you said of just finding someone who wants to learn this thing and almost a process of learning it together, which there's such a push in the art world to not put anything out until it's perfect and great and good. And I think we need to be more accepting of like, yeah, sometimes 
things are just a work in progress and you know we get a little better every time and i'm like the podcast has gone grown exponentially from where we started right but it's not perfect but nothing's perfect and it doesn't need to be so it's almost releasing yourself from that pressure while also being very rooted in this community building which is a really really cool thing yeah absolutely put out your stuff don't wait uh the absolute <laughs> worst thing you could do i think is to wait until something's perfect because you will never release it because it will never be perfect. Um, yeah, I'm a big proponent of just getting your stuff out there. Uh, there's, there's no better way to learn than to get something out there. Even if you hate it a month later or whatever, it's going to push you to uh, get better at your craft for sure. And it's like the old adage of, you know, you have to make really shitty art before you're going to make anything good. Um, and especially learning a new skill. Like, I, I know at least for me as an artist, I assume, oh, I'm decent at this one form. So that I'm just going to jump into another art form and it'll come naturally. Right. And that is obviously never the case. I'm, I'm currently practicing right. filmmaking and I'm like, why am I so bad at this? And I'm like, well, you have to put in the time and you have to put in the work. But I think <laughs> the root yeah. of, of what I'm getting out of what you're saying is that there are people who are willing to like be there and support you and to help you out and, and teach you these skills or learn alongside you. And, and that's the really fun part of it. Yeah. I mean, and if you're looking for people and it's hard um i've always had a hard time with that it's taken i'm probably slow to um make connections and, and things like that but when you find people who are willing to collaborate with you it's such a joy and it's such a it's just fuel for the fire to keep you going and you're learning from each other um and also as someone who's doing something you are giving the gift of the whatever project other people i mean they're obviously investing a lot of time and effort, but you've also given them something that they have this um, cool creative project to work on. So it's a, a beautiful symbiosis. I'm so glad to hear you say that first part because I have a lot of conversations with people on the podcast where we talk about community and it makes it sound of often like myself and our guests, like we've already found it. And now we're looking back on like, look at all this thing, this whole process that we went through to like build community. And now we have it and it's so great. and. I want to always be like honest about that of it's not always that that can be such a farce right of I think I started this newsletter because I felt really lonely right and I was like I am an artist and I don't feel like I have a community and I I moved to New York so I grew up in the south didn't feel like I had any sort of artistic community here moved to New York thinking that oh that's where my community is right like every great myth of you've got to go to some big city you've right. got to go to the heart of whatever your <laughs> career field is and like yeah you're just going to find your community and then i was surrounded by it and i was like i am lonelier than i've ever been so then you come back at least for me that looked like coming back and figuring out okay how do i build this here but it doesn't i don't ever want it to seem like something where we talk about community and it's just like yeah you know just put yourself out there and it's going to happen like community takes work and it, it takes time and i've been back in north carolina for three years and i only feel like i'm just now really solidifying and building that community. And I think when we have conversations about community building and about friendship and relationships, it can always sound so easy. And I don't ever want people to think like, if you're listening and you're like, I have no community, I don't, I want to be involved in something like this. That's so great. Like people tell me all the time, it's like, you've got it all figured out. I'm like, no, I do not, <laughs> you know? And I'm, it, I'm really happy to hear you say like this, in part was because I was lonely and like didn't have that. Um, and it's hard. It, it is hard to make those connections and it's going to be weird and awkward. And you're going to hang out with a lot of people and some people you're going to click with and make art together and some people you might never see again. And, and that's just part of the process. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, 
we're definitely if you're an artist you're out here struggling every day in one way or another um sometimes i feel like the easy part is creating the art and it for me it's seems to be more difficult to get the art out there or to find people to collaborate with i guess over the over the history of my life i feel like i'm in a really great place with a lot of people who are interested in doing things um i've been working on engineering and producing some people in the last few years which has just like been a big light bulb that's gone off in my head like oh you spent thousands of hours alone uh, recording albums and figuring out the minutia of um, audio engineering it's like feels so good to be able to help someone with their project help them realize what their vision is um, help them avoid all the pitfalls that you went through um, so it's it's been absolutely great and i think what you say within that too is there's this element of being alone that is just as important sometimes and that's the other piece of community studies that i feel like drives me crazy because yes we want community obviously believe in the power of collaborative art i think every artist is made better through community that being said there is also a part where like sometimes it is just you alone learning these skills right i'm like I spend so much time doing stuff with good folk these days and I hardly ever write anything of my own. And I think every artist, it's like finding the balance between I'm passing this along and I'm putting out what I didn't have, but also I still have to be mindful of my own time and protect that and give myself space to be alone and to learn these skills. And it's it's a tricky balance. I don't know if you have any, any wisdom or advice on how you found that. No, no, absolutely. And, um, I think you don't, you don't find it. You, it's a constantly evolving. Your balance today might be you different than what you need in a month or two months, or you might have three. It sounds like you guys have tons of projects going on all the time. You might have three projects going on at once and you might need to put 50% of your eggs in the, this one project for the time and just do a little less of the others um, to finish that project and it's shifting. And then you might, you know, get done with a few years and be like, I need to start writing for myself more. And um, then, then you take some time to do that. So you never, yeah, definitely don't worry if you don't feel like you finding it or finding it because you're always constantly redefining what, what the correct balance is for you. And there's phases to it, which is exactly what you say of there are going to be periods where you want to be focused on building the community and then there are going to be periods where you have to be focused on building the art. And it doesn't mean that one or the other is forever, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think they can uh, kind of scaf be scaffolding for each other. Like one thing I've noticed is working more on other people's projects is so exciting to me and gives me so many ideas for my own stuff. Um, obviously you're wanting to help them as much as you can, but you can't help but to get ideas and learn from people. And no matter how, how long they've been doing it or how long you think you've been doing it. Um, every time we have someone over for li live from the nest is like every person. I'm just like, they're so amazingly talented. There's so much talent in this area. Um, feels very good to be at least a small platform for helping other people get their music out. Uh, but yeah, I'm constantly learning and I think that's a great uh, thing to keep in mind. 
How do you strike the balance? You know, you were like, you ran a lot of projects. I was like, look who's talking. How do you strike the balance between everything you do with your own music and <laughs> with Lost Gold and with The Nest? And what does that balance look like for you of kind of this individual artistry versus the community building piece? Yeah, that's a great um, question. And it always, even within my own projects, I'm constantly making lists and changing things. Uh, right now we're working on a full length album for Lost Gold. So that's kind of bubbled up to the top of the heap. Um, luckily, our Live from the Nest things, I, I feel like my end of it, I do the audio and the mixing, which is so easy compared to recording like an album. I can, I feel like I get a lot of time to actually enjoy the performance of people being there. Um, our camera folks, uh, Chris and Steven, and our video editor, Mike, really have the... Uh, bear the weight of the workload for that project. So on a personal level, I feel like I can do tons of those. I can, I could schedule more of those and make those guys kind of go crazy, but I try to try to keep it to a few a month. And um, yeah, so balancing the different projects, like you just have to start accepting that some things have to wait or you you can't do it all, but you can, um, do a lot and like right now I've got a couple records like in my mind that I want to make um, and it's been a little difficult to focus on one at a time and wait wait on the others so it is a constant uh, balancing process it's like you need good collaborators to enable the process because you're like, yeah, I'm a little hands off on this because I work with all these people who share that balance. And it's a very utopian idea of, of what it is to make art that we all have a little piece of it and then there's something that comes together. But it really is true of like no album is produced. I mean, there are albums produced and written and recorded just by one person, but it's very rare. Um, and like no film is made with one person. I don't think any good ones really are. Um, Right. That element of collaboration really does have to be inherent, but it is also about finding the people you work well with and the people you can trust because you can find collaborators everywhere, but you've got to find the people who share the vision, I think. Yeah, right. And I think another aspect is people who um, are, res you have to have the mutual respect of like the time you're putting in. Um, I think you can occasionally find a collaborator that doesn't necessarily fit because maybe their expectations are way higher than what the reality of the project could be or the, what the reality of what time you're putting into it. But I mean, even more so I think than like a shared vision is a shared enthusiasm for learning as you go and a shared um, just mutual respect for for each other's time. What would you say a good collaboration looks like to you or feels like? Um, my the band I'm in, Matt Southern and Lost Gold, is like amazing to me because I think a great collaboration is having people in the project who inspire you and fill in some gaps um, from some things you can't do. Or um, I think all of those guys bring a lot to the table, and every song I bring in it gets changed quite a bit in the arrangement of it um, just from what they bring to it and I think I've gotten better over the years like I've, I've done a lot of albums just like on my own and that it has its own sound and its own unique thing it's fun to uh, 
fill in the puzzle yourself. Um, but I'm also like, I don't need to do that. Or I, it's a lot more fun with other people. Um, and the collaboration brings things that you would never, you would never think of. Um, so I think great collaborators are, are very open people, people who are not, um, very sensitive to their ego or like they don't have an idea and need that to be the idea. People who are interested in discovering what the thing is going to become with you. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to work with a lot of people like that. And art should be fun, right? Like that's exactly what you said of it's more fun to do this with other people. And there's such a myth of, you know, like the tortured artist who only makes good things out of suffering. And I think the older most people get as artists, the more you realize like, wow, that is not true. And I bought into that for so long and made myself miserable because art should be fun, right? It can be a process of joy as much as a process of kind of like memory and reconciliation. And it doesn't mean one is more important than the other, but I think you have to have that equal balance. And when you are working with people that you love and people you value, it is, it's more fun and that's okay. Like it should be fun to make art. Absolutely. I a hundred percent concur. Uh, with your ideas about the myth of the suffering artist. And it's, I mean, it's harmful bullshit that kind of gets perpetuated. And I think a lot of younger people suffer for it or they make themselves miserable thinking that that's going to make the art better. Um, when in my own experience, the times I've been the most clear headed and the most balanced in my life and my mental health is the times I'm, by far more productive and um, more imaginative and I'm able to give myself to, to art way more. I think that's so well said and I completely agree. Um, I want to go back here because we've been kind of talking around your band, Matt Southern and the Lost Gold, but I obviously want to talk about your band, which is amazing and you just do so much for the local community, but could you tell us a little bit about kind of the origin of Matt Southern and the Lost Gold and who you are as a band and a little bit of that history? Yeah, so we started um, in 2018. Uh, we formed originally with Stephen Teachin and Chris Bennett um, as a trio, and we performed a few years as a trio. Um, and we were lucky enough to release our first three three records, I think, um, with the Potluck Foundation in Carborough. Um, and that's... I'll have to say a little more about that in a minute, but that's an amazing organization with amazing people who have been building community in the area for a lot longer than I have. So definitely look up to them and all they do. Um, yeah, so we started as a three-piece, and then in the pandemic, we, Kevin, um, started playing with us, uh, lead guitar. So... And I can't imagine going back to a three-piece now, but we released one record with him. Uh, we released that in 2021. Uh, it's called The Songs of Edward Leary. Um, so yeah, that's we've been around, what is that, four? It's almost five years now. Um, released three records. We're working on our fourth record right now. So we that should be out um, early summer, I would guess. And as a band, who are some of the people that kind of influence you or inspire you or how much you describe your sound of the music that you all make? The um, origin, I think, at the time when we started the band, I was trying to figure out how to bridge the solo music I was doing. I was doing a lot of 
finger picking solo acoustic stuff, but I was trying to figure out how to uh, bring that to the rock band format. So I kind of reimagined the way I was playing. I started playing with a thumb pick. I started uh, basically changed how I played, and it took a couple years to really get comfortable with that. But I would say that start trying to make basically folk songs that are electric and um, more more in the rock vein. Yeah, that's kind of where we started. And we, we're always, I think each project has different influences. Like the songs of Edward Leary, I was really into um, Ali Farcature and some different um, guitarists from the Sahara Desert. I was specifically listening a lot to Ali Farcature's Red and Green album, which is just this beautiful, it's all like acoustic guitar and a couple of drums, but just really interesting um, ways to play guitar. So I spent like hours and hours trying to figure out note by note, like, what is he doing here? Like, how is this simple thing sound so amazing? Um, and so like you try to do stuff like that and it's a great exercise because you can never do it, but you end up doing something else. So I feel like a lot of the guitar parts for that album started as me trying to figure out how is Ali Farcatoria playing this amazing music. <laughs> so yeah, there, I think there's a story like... Imitation's the best form right, of flattery, you know? <laughs> right, and obviously the record sounds nothing like Ali Farcatoria. Um, but I feel like every creative project has a few figureheads like that that are at least for me I mean all if you talk to any of the other guys they're in a completely different space their parts are influenced by sometimes stuff I've never heard or they'll turn me on to a record that becomes really influential to me but I think we're all coming from slightly different places um, but it's really interesting to see um, where it ends up. I had a writing professor once who gave me the advice of follow your obsessions and that became such an influential thing in my own work of, okay, yeah, these things that interest me, I don't have to unpack it or think about why, I'm just gonna lean into them and follow them and see where it takes me, which I, is exactly what it sounds like you're describing of. I can't stop listening to this one thing. I, I'm gonna try something that will be similar. And in that process, you end up kind of finding your own voice and your own style, which is one of the best ways to learn and practice art, in my opinion. It is, and I, um, to add on to your note on obsession, like I think not only should you follow that, I think you should be like actively cultivating that. Like those obsessions and those rabbit holes you follow and that uh, that's just like the education of yourself that you. I feel like you constantly have to do to start continually make stuff that feels fresh to you. And it's also just incredibly fun. Like we're all fans of art. We're making art. We're fans of it. Like to cultivate that in yourself and make space to obsess over things and to read liner notes, to read uh, the favorite authors of your author of your favorite authors, um, similar with music. Uh, but to make that time to do those deep dives, I feel like. That to me is like what the creative process, that's a huge component of it. I completely agree. Are there any obsessions or rabbit holes you're going down at the minute? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, 
so last year I was just talking earlier about um getting really into like the early nineties uh native tongues hip hop. Um they just released uh De La Soul's discography, which wasn't on uh streaming before. So I've been I've been in the last couple of days listening to a lot of that because that was kind of a piece, you know, listen to a lot of Tribe Called Quest, uh Diggable Planets. Um but it's been fun to fill in those gaps recently. So that's that's been my last couple of days, but probably going to blank on anything else more important. It's like every time someone's like, what's your favorite song or author or movie? And you're like, I have suddenly never consumed anything in my life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're, you're, you do it too much and you're just blind to the, uh, the specifics. Of I was it. thinking as you were talking, I was like, I don't actually know what I would answer, but it's something to think about of what, it, what are the things that you're obsessing over right now and how do you yeah. either track their influence into your work or just, just draw inspiration from it, I think, which is, yeah, just such a great way to learn who you are as an artist. Yeah, I think the other, um, I guess, recent obsession would be I've, I've been playing mandolin in this very fun and great band called Kit McKay. Um, so I've been deep diving on a lot of classic country, a lot of early bluegrass stuff. Um, I've always been really into Bill Monroe, but I've been kind of going back and trying to learn some mandolin stuff from him. Um, been listening to a lot of sixties, uh, country rock sort of stuff, uh, flying burrito brothers. Um, lots, lots of great stuff. So it's different every week and it's, it's a, uh, both a joy and like find I feel like kind of a duty like you you need to be making the time to um consume art and I think as an artist you have to do it at a level that is is a lot higher probably than if you were just listening or just a a fan who wasn't also creating well it's another myth that you see a lot in the art world which is that you know any good artist you're just like heads down focused on your work and at least in writing, people are like, you have to also read, right? You've got to take the time to figure out what it is that you're interested in and what you're obsessed over and not just like what's selling or what is cool, but what really drives you just as a person, um, but also as an artist and, and really lean into that. I tell my students, I'm like folklore, the way that I think of it is like evidence that we exist, right? And so much of folklore is also art. And it's just proof that we were here and that we were human and that we meant something and we make meaning through these things that we put out. And you do have a duty, I think, to follow that. Um, you can't just like constantly live in your own head and in your own world. And there's an element that, yes, you, you have to consume it more if you're going to be creating it. Um, and it's not to say I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I consume so much, I won't figure out what I have to say or what I'm interested in putting out there. But I, I'm pretty firmly in the camp that I don't think you can figure out what it is that you like or what you want to say or how you make meaning without figuring out the things that you have first made meaning out of if that makes sense. Right. And it's that back to that balance piece you were talking about. Um, I think as long as you are also making the time to, um, to create things and to see where that leads you and see where your, your tastes, um, lead you, as long as you're doing both, um, it, they're going to help each other. You're, you're going to be getting better. You're going to be doing more interesting things because it's going to have more influences. Um, but you're also going to be you can't help but be yourself. You're going to be always becoming more yourself and your art 
no matter how hard you try, it's going to be your art. I love that. And you'll find the people along the way, which is, I want to go back a little bit because you've touched on a lot of different kind of people and organizations um, and places around the triangle that have really helped you in your own journey. But what does it mean to you to be a musician now working in North Carolina in the triangle in this kind of storied folk, indie music, DIY scene? Like there's just so much here and it's so rich. What does it mean to you to be an artist kind of in this area? It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've really loved since I've been here reading more about the history of the music scene here. Um, some people have some really great books out. Um, and it's it feels great. And there's a lot of venues and things that you get the chance to play. And it's it, it you've also seen like, you know, a hundred of your favorite bands play there. So it's it's really great. And I think one thing that I think people take uh, for granted is the great student radio we have around here. Um, I grew up in a very small town. I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> I grew up in a very small town. We have amazing student radio here. Yes. <laughs> uh, we. I grew up in a very small town that had, you know, like three radio stations. You could listen to like pop, classic rock, or uh, pop country. And that was like, those were the options. And your idea of what music was out there was very limited. This is, you know, I grew up, kind of in the early internet era. Um, so it wasn't as easy to find things or you had to, you had to know people who it, uh, could lead you in the right direction. But um, in the 13 years I've been here, like I've discovered so many amazing artists just by randomly playing um, w WKNC here in Raleigh. Um, the folks at WKNC and WXDU in Durham have always been very kind to me and given me opportunities and played music. Um, there's a, a lot of amazing radio stations around here that I think is easy to take for granted. And I've got to give a shout out WXYC, which is our Chapel Hill one too. I think the oldest student radio station, as far as I know, which is, is it? I, I, I could absolutely be making that up, but I am pretty sure that is true. Um, if not the oldest, one of the oldest, but Definitely one of the first ones to broadcast, which is also really good. And then not to mention on top of that, beyond student radio, we also just have really good like local radio. Um, and so many right. like small record labels that are doing a lot of really incredible community work as well. Um, and when you talk about, you know, you're playing this venue that so many of your other favorite bands have played, it, it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is like you're building into this history and also opening up a new space where down the line, you know, you might be that band for someone else who's in the audience. and. I think it's really cool to trace art through that way um, and that kind of linear progression of inspiration because it creates this web and this map of all kinds of people together that you have no idea who's inspired by you and who they're going to inspire. And we need like a story map of every artist's inspiration and, and to see that progression because I think that's, to me, the best part of doing this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. Documenting um, things, that's, a, that's another big thing I feel like I'm excited to continue doing um, the Live from the Nest project because it's like every time you're adding to this library, you're you're kind of collecting all of these things. And if you can keep it going for a while, like what you guys are doing, you guys have quite a few episodes out now, like pretty soon you have this big body of work, this, um, it, the mentality to me is like, oh, I want everyone to do one of these. Like I want to get all of these 
every band I see or every artist who, who does some uh, more laid back stuff, I'm like, we got to get it, get a video of them. And hopefully maybe we could get some, uh, some touring bands coming through to stop by. And so, yeah, building a document of what people are doing in your community that might not otherwise be there is, uh, it's great. It's, it's a public service and it's also just like a joy to do. So you're totally a folklorist at heart because it's all an archival project, which is when I started this podcast, I was like, yeah, it's basically just like an archive of what it means to be an artist in and around the rural South today, um, which you don't get to see those stories as much. So for me, in a lot of ways, and I think it's similar with you with The Nest, of it's creating almost a counter narrative to what you often get to see of this place and also art in this place and doing that in a way that is both like collaborative and community building, but is also like truly an archive um, and an archival project, which is, again, I, th I think you've got to be a folklorist now, you know, <laughs> everything you're saying, it just aligns. Yeah. I, if I, if I would have known about, uh, you know, that, that was something you could do in college that, I mean, that would have been absolutely what I did being just a, a most people <laughs> most people don't know it's a thing i didn't know it's a thing until right. i became a folklore right <laughs> it is very fun um i i know we're coming up to our time so i have two last questions for you number one is there kind of a career highlight um or something that just really jumps out to you from you said like the 13 years you've been here doing this kind of work is there something that comes to mind as that's really what that's what it's about there's um it's hard to pick a specific one, but there's been, you know, anyone who performs music, there's a few shows that stick out in your mind um, as being a lot of fun. One of those was a day party uh, we played at, at Slim's for uh, the, the Hopscotch Music Festival. Um, that was just a super fun show. It was our first, it was our first year playing shows um, with that band. So that was a huge highlight. We also got to play Cat's Cradle for a hurricane relief benefit once. And that I, that's the only time I've been on uh, that main stage there. So that was the one I was talking about was like every artist who has come through here that I love, I have watched on this stage. Um, so pretty incredible. Those sorts of things. Um, just at, with uh, Live from the Nest, I feel like every single time someone comes over, there's a few moments of it's just kind of like transcendent either someone singing harmony in your living room and your cats rubbing against their leg. And you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I would highly recommend, um, figuring out a way to trick people to come into your living room to perform. Uh, <laughs> it's not a trick, but it's every time we do that, it's wonderful. And I'm amazed by people's talent. It's the best way to hang out with artists that you think are cool is just start some sort of project like this where you get to ask them for things. And yeah, now I get to hang out with musicians right. all the time. And I'm like, this is the dream, right? <laughs> um, right. That That's... kind of leads me very nicely into our next question, which is you were saying there's something about almost art in this space that sort of transcends like the drudgery of everyday life of, you know, we're just sitting here in my living room and there's the cat, but this thing that we're creating together means something beyond that. And we ask all of our guests, the same last question, which if you've listened to the podcast, you will know by now. So you can be prepared a little bit. But that question is, what do you believe in? Great question. And I'm glad I've done my homework because that I feel like if that was the first time I heard that, I would really freeze. 
<laughs> but it's an excellent question. It's my favorite thing to always see people's reactions because <laughs> everyone's either like, yes, I'm ready. I have an answer. Or people are like, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I guess the thing I would like to say that I believe in is the power of art and music or whatever you create um, to not necessarily um, affect other people, but to affect the person participating in it. Um, if I've, I believe in the power of art to like give meaning to your life and to uh, improve your life, improve your happiness, improve your connections with your community. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing to participate in. And I also think it's something, uh, speaking of folklore and one of the early um, things that really made me love folk music is that everybody was doing it. There was, there was not a gate um, you didn't have to reach a certain level of ability to participate in it. And I think that's so true. And um, anyone who is taking piano lessons or dance class or whatever, doing anything creative, I think they understand the power that it has on the person creating. I think that's so well said. And keep at it, you know, even if it's just something you're doing as a hobby. There's no end point to art. And Befriend the musicians, invite them to your house, have everyone over in your living room. You know, you never know what's going to come of it. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much. It's it's such a joy to talk to you. And it's, I'm, I'm so yeah. excited to continue to follow your work. For anyone who wants to get involved either with The Nest or they want to come see you or learn more about all of these amazing musical projects you're involved in, where can they find you? Yes, um, excellent. For the Live from the Nest, um, we have an Instagram. I believe it's live from the nest underscore nc if you just search in there live from the nest we'll double check it all and link it yeah live from the nest nc send us a message if you're interested in performing if you know anyone who's interested in performing it would be great um we do our best we obviously have very busy schedules and there's a limited amount of people we can have on but we love getting people messaging us we've gotten a lot of great people in through that um, if you're interested in following along my other creative things, um, any of your streaming services, you can search for Matt Southern um, and you can find the band stuff there, the individual stuff. Um, the band I'm in, Kit McKay, is has a great record out. You should definitely check out. Um, you can also find that on streaming services and easily easy to find us on Instagram or um, anywhere else. Yeah, you're everywhere. So we just have to fo follow you everywhere. And um Hopefully we can yeah. figure out something we'll all do in person soon and, and have like a good folk and live from the nest collaboration somehow. But stay tuned. That, it'd be a great <laughs> It would be a great yeah. collaboration. We, we'll make it happen somehow. But Matt, thank you so much. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks. Yeah. And Thanks to so everyone much for listening, have a good day, good night, wherever you are in the world. Be good. Stay good.